Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. Are you still listening? Good. Take a deep breath. You needed a break. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount Plus. So, yes, you can literally stream a stream. Paramount Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation. with Calcio e Cappuccino, our weekly Serie A component for our uh, league coverage on Paramount+. Plus. As always, Christine Cupo here with Dre Cordero, Aaron West, and this week we have Marco Messina with us, gracing us with his presence as always. How you doing, Dre? Good. Don't sound too excited by by the we're back. You know, <laughs> to do now. So. I am more enthusiastic, I promise. I did it while smiling. No, I, I like the strategy, <laughs> under-promise and over-deliver. Right. Um, we have a massive, massive show tomorrow as I knock over everything in my apartment doing that in excitement. Uh, live from 2 p.m. in the studio tomorrow, we have uh, coverage for Juventus Napoli um, running until 5.30 p.m. with post-match coverage. Uh, we have Dre Cordero and um, Matteo Bonetti on the call. Um, uh, I will be down in Philly at the United Coaches Conference with a special guest. Uh, so I hope to see a lot of fans out there. Um, but top of the hour, let's hit it. Napoli Juve. Um, Aaron, do you have any things that you're looking for out of this match? I mean, it's going to be first and second place right now. Um, huge impact on whomever wins, I'd say. Do you think we're going to get a draw out of this or are Juve going to continue their uh, clean sheet streak? I do think it'll be a draw. My eyes are focused squarely on Kavada. Like every, every, I'm so interested in watching him coming out of this break with six, seven weeks of teams having time to prepare for him, having seen him play, having watched tape. Um, I think he's fantastically talented, but this is such a hard period for a young player to come and and continue to produce when now he's got like two or three bodies on him. He's got teams trying the, the hack-a-shack technique on him, which has seemed to be fairly effective so far. So I, I'm really, really interested to see him specifically. As a Juve fan, obviously, I want to see how they do. But as a football fan overall, that is fully what my focus is on. Terrible do you think we're – sorry. Come on. <laughs> Do you Sorry. think, are we calling this a slump yet? Hey, Dre, I appreciated it. I appreciate it. No, we're not. It's, it's, he's played, what, two matches? And the mm-hmm. first match was entered away 
Um, no, we're not calling it a slump. I, I just have my eyes on it. That's that's all. That's literally it. <laughs> just checking. I mean, I like to take the pulse of our internet components and see what people are shouting about every once in a while. On the I try to remain fair and balanced. <laughs> you. Uh, Dre, what do you have your eye on for uh, this big match tomorrow? I know you're so going to call. Yeah, I opened the, uh, I think it was the, the, the games all blend into each other at this point of the season, but I, I think it was the the Juve Udinese match. I opened it with the very first word out of my mouth as that game was uh, you know, coming into your picture was delete your old Juventus tweets. Uh, because, <laughs> it, you know, it's not the first time they've done this, right? Like you think back to this, even, even this eight game um, win streak, eight consecutive clean sheets, it's, it rhymes with previous Juve seasons. Right, like they, they started uh, in Allegri's previous tenure, they started the campaign uh, ten games in. They were they had twelve points, I think. They were in twelfth place. Uh, they were eleven points off the pace of then leaders Roma, who were uh, managed by Rudy Garcia at the time, and they ran off just an incredible unbeaten run. They won twenty six of the final twenty eight games of the Serie A season to win another one in their string of nine consecutive Scudetti, right? And so all of the questions and all of the declarative statements that people have made and heard um, regarding uh, Allegri this season were said then, you know, four or five years ago before he went off on his uh, hiatus. And it's just remarkable to me the way that Juventus continue to do this and do it in the same way. They do it through defense first. They do it through not allowing goals and just knowing that they have just enough, whether it's Alvaro Morata in seasons past, um, whether it's, you know, uh, Milik now, they, they know that they'll do you, just Are you trying to say Corto Muso? Is that what you're trying to say? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> uh, they, they don't concede. And, and so what, what I have my eye on, I have my eye on the Brazilian trio. Um, that, what what led to, to this whole string of games was going back to that 3-5-2, um, 3-5-1-1, if you like. And the, they've done it without uh, Bonucci. Uh, in some cases, without Bremer, Bremer's coming back after uh, missing the, the Udinese match with some muscle fatigue. But it's just fascinating to me that with two fullbacks and one natural center back, in some cases, Rugani as that one natural center back, they still continue to rack up clean sheets. They continue to rediscover that Juventus DNA, which if you go through the history of this club, I think in the, in the top 10, you know, longest clean sheet streaks in the history of Serie A, Juve appears like five times. Juve, Juve populate that list about half of those times. They hold, they hold the record, which is 10 consecutive clean sheets, and then they match the record, which is, again, 10 consecutive clean sheets. Both of those were Allegri's Juve. But, you know, you go back to, like, the 70s and, and the 50s, they were doing the same thing then. And so, yeah, that, that's what I'm looking at. I'm looking, can anybody stop this Juve train once they start going? Because they're I firmly in the Scudetto race now. Napoli may still be favorites. I've seen some bookies uh, have uh, Inter as the odds-on favorites now to win the, the, the Scudetto. But I've seen this movie before, and it ends with a black and white title. You're a thousand percent accurate on that point. But also, we I think we have to give a shout to Danilo, who's been the only defender that's been consistently on over this eight-match streak for holding it down. Um, even in Bremer's absence and otherwise uh, a few hiccupy things. I mean, we had McKenney playing defense. We had, we've had a lot of things happen for you very recently. Um, I think seeing Bremer back uh, tomorrow, uh, potentially also Kiesa start should, should shift things a bit. Uh, I think I'm looking even further down the road to say like a Pogba and Vlaovic return in February, what that Juve will look like if it deviates from this sort of, heavily defensive, less 
I'll say less exciting. Yeah, I think that's a fair assessment um, ball that we've been seeing. But uh, Napoli is still undeniably solid. We have Osimhen, who has never scored against Juve, who will certainly be hunting. Um, I don't know. What do you see, Marco, for this Napoli side? I think we know exactly what the game is going to have. Napoli is going to attack. Juventus are going to defend and counter. And it's going to be about who can be better on the night. I think the two teams are just of completely different philosophies. And we can always say there's multiple ways to win, right? There's no right way. It's just which style you go for. And Napoli's is the brilliant one. It's the exciting one. It's captured every single person that enjoys football across Europe, right? Just for the way that they find spaces, uh, how dynamic they are. They're really a solid group and they all work for each other. And if they win this game, right? I know we're saying Juventus are, are on this amazing run, and I totally agree, and they've been Inter, they've been in Lazio. But if Napoli win this game with the struggles that we've seen recently, they are. this is a massive push for them in the Scudetto. Of course, the season is very long, but the momentum to actually beat a Juventus side, which is a team who, in years past, has always been the one to stop them from winning, right? If you think about 2018, when they had this brilliant year with Mauricio Sarri and everything was going great, it was always Juventus who killed their hopes. This is finally their opportunity. And I think they challenge, even on paper, uh, player for player and group for group, to actually put on an incredible performance. So best defense against the the best best defense versus the best offense, it's going to be a great match. And, and I think Napoli have a lot riding on this. I think I'd like fireworks more so than a tactically impressive neutralization, because obviously those are sort of, um, you can appreciate them, but they're not necessarily the every fan explosive match that everyone dies for. But what do you think it means, hypothetically speaking, if Napoli beat Juve, who are currently level with points with Milan, uh, who are sitting right behind Juve on the table? Do we think that Milan start to get a little bit of fire lit under them to start hammering back? Or do we think that this is going to consistently be a shift through the remainder of the season for these top four slots? This is the first time, I think, in a long time that the rest of Serie A is rooting for Juve. Right? Like, it, mm-hmm. The rest of Serie A it wants uh, Napoli sort of reeled in. Uh, I don't know that it's going to happen necessarily. And, and Napoli have been so brilliant at home, especially. Right, there, There's that little bit of... Um, when when Napoli is good, the Stadio Maradona is just a ridiculous place to to go and and play, and, and those fans are absolutely just nuts. And, and granted, it's a little bit too big, um, and, and it needs to be modernized or whatnot. Uh, but they've lost they've no games at home this season. They dropped points in one match, and and football being what it is, it was against Lecce, right? Like that that more Lecce plays some good football, but they don't exactly get the results. Like I think that's more of an accident than anything else. B- besides that. Napoli have been just almost flawless at home. Six goals given up at uh, Maradona. One of those was in the 1-1 draw um, against Lecce. And so I I do think that it's almost like everybody's hoping that whether it's Milan, whether it's Inter, that Juve will sort of give them a lifeline to real Napoli. I I agree with you 100%. I'm with with Marco. Like uh, Napoli win this game and we're right back to saying they're going to run away with this and they're going to pull away. I, I think I think that's true, though. I think if they win this match, the confidence that it would give them would make they would go on a tear. I think they would go on a legitimate tear. I don't think they would really, really look back. I think Juve is that bogey. Like when you walk around Napoli, uh, like when I shot with people in Naples, they would ask me, like, 
are you a UB fan? And I, I would tell some, depending on how, how you didn't like, tell them your head and answer. I, I, depending <laughs> on how, I would, depending on how intensely I would be like, I am an Arsenal supporter. <laughs> As they're scrolling Twitter. Sometimes you don't have to lie. You just don't have to tell the entire truth. <laughs> Self-preservation. Uh, I, I, like, Juve is that bogey. Like, they hate that team so deeply. Like, if they can win this match, and especially if they win it convincingly, I think they, they don't look back. Um, I, I think a draw really helps them, their confidence. I, I don't think that's – I don't think the loss really kills them either. I, I think that it, it really makes it a true race. I, I think probably for the, the sake of the league, it'll, it'll be really, really interesting if, if we see a Napoli loss. But I, I don't really see them losing this match. I think it'll probably be a draw. I think Juve are probably going into this one looking for either a draw or to scrape an 87th minute winner like they always do. Um, but I, I really think this could be a massive confidence boost for Napoli, but I don't think it'll be a, a confidence killer if, if the result goes against them. It was a surprise game changer for me for, on this Napoli team. And when, uh, when they uh, signed um, Matias Oliveira, I thought this guy is going to compete with Mario Rui for a starting spot. Like they're going that it was similar to um, what happened at Roma, where when they signed uh, Zeki Shelik, whom I covered at, at Lille, um, I knew that. In fact, in that case, I like made the declarative statement at the start of the season. This guy's going to replace uh, Rick Karsdorp. I did not see the falling out um, that Rick Karsdorp has had with Mourinho, where Mourinho just blasted him and said he's not playing for me again. But I did expect Zelik uh, to, to overtake him um, in that position. Whereas I, I thought Oliveira would not necessarily overtake Mario Rui, but would compete with him. And what's happened instead is, I think it's been the competition that Mario Rui needed, needed to step his game up. And these guys are, you know, very different approaches to to the position of left back, right? Like uh, Oliveira's more, you know, workhorse, uh, more defensive minded, uh, just incredible engine. Whereas Mario Rui has become an additional midfielder, an additional playmaker on this team. And not, a, not like Theo Hernandez, for example, becomes a second striker. I think Mario Rui becomes a second central midfielder that can spread. Like he's, he leads the team in assists and, and he's so good at finding Osimhen's runs into the area that I, he's become sort of my, like everybody, obviously the easy answer is Kvaraschelia, is Victor Osimhen, is, you know, the metronome that is Stanislav Lobotka. But I think Mario Rui has had an outsized influence this season. And maybe it's it's the fact that they, somebody came for his job. They hired somebody who was capable. <laughs> <laughs> starting only little, little, lit a fire under that, man. I love, I love only Milinkovic Savic has more assists than I was going to say, which is I just, literally just when I read that, that my mind Milinkovic Savic has seven, he has six. It's crazy talk. A couple, like, imagine a I couple, told you that six months ago, right? I wouldn't no. believe you. I think you're, I'd call you a liar, like I always do. Um, <laughs> no, I just don't have to tell the truth. I'm not a liar. <laughs> I, no, I, think, the, like, uh, I think when you place things contextually like that, not that it should be necessary, but it certainly, um, add some more color to like what exactly Lobotka's role has been and what he's been doing. Um, I never would have no six months ago. No, no, not me. <laughs> um, I think uh, that aside, we also had, um, if everybody's cool to move on uh, to Milan, um, who- One more thing. Yeah. I, I, you know, I always do this. I'm like, no, we're not moving on from this. You're like, uh, no, 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 no. <laughs> la last thing is, this is the, the largest points margin um, between the, the Napoli have been ahead of Juventus uh, in a direct matchup against Juve in over a decade. You have to go back to 2011, the last time that Napoli were this far ahead of Juventus 
ahead of a head-to-head meeting with them. And that 2011 matchup, that was a very different Juventus, right? That was uh, Luigi Del Neri's uh, Juve, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, and then shortly after that, they switched to Antonio Conte. And it, the only reason I bring this up is I don't know that this is a position that Napoli are super familiar with. And I wonder, because of the run that Juve have been in, and because of the sort of, you know, the, the first two kind of down or average performances we've, we've seen from Kubarashelia, the, you know, two games in which Napoli have looked more human than they did at any point prior to the World Cup break. I wonder how much of an advantage it is for Juventus going into this game mentally um, over, over Napoli's side that maybe could get a little bit of vertigo or, or maybe we'll feel like this isn't the must win that, that uh, Juventus absolutely have to. That, that's my last point on this game. Um, now, can we move on to Milan? <laughs> um, Milan, uh, taking a few hits this season with injuries and otherwise currently sitting in third, um, just had a kind of rough week, uh, blowing a two goal lead, um, getting bopped out of Coppa Italia by, uh, Torino in extra time, which I don't know. Did, did you see that one coming Marco? This was the one game that, honestly, I think Torino is such a side that's uh, overlooked, I should say, because of the just I, I'm obsessed with with Juric as a coach. I love the organization he brings to teams. I know that they had so many issues in the summer where he was literally fighting with the directors, like physically fighting with them. And he's he's able to put out a team that's always structured, a team that's always balanced. And considering the moment that Milan just had with the 2-2 against Roma, and once I saw that starting 11 from Milan, and I know that this is what a lot of teams do in the Coppa Italia, so I understood that, I said they are severely underrating this Torino side, who even when they went to 10 men, looked like that they had more of an opportunity to win the game. And I give so much credit to them. Now they've been Milan two times in this season, right? I think they beat them in Serie A, now in Coppa Italia. So credit to them. And honestly, I'm not, I wasn't that surprised, especially with the way that the match was going. It looked like even the players who were on the bench, they just were not there and, and prepared to play. No one like- no one here condones uh, violence, but uh, imagine <laughs> the level of confidence that you have to have to fight your sporting director, to like physically fight the guy that is technically your boss as a coach. Like that is, a, that is an aspirational level of confidence. <laughs> The segue there that's just like, (laughs) I don't condone violence. I just want to start every segment that way. Respect the game, I guess. Also, by the way, Milan, when I look at their schedule, here's another one that could go against them. I I believe they play Lecce next, if I'm not mistaken. And that's another game who, I mean, Lecce's always, always against the top teams. Lecce fights. It's in their DNA. Maybe, you know, you want to say that the quality is not there. They don't have the same quality as Torino, which I agree but Baroni always puts out a team that's not scared to challenge against the best. There's another one that I'm looking at for Milan where they're in a little bit of a difficult moment and you're going up against a team that I would not want to play. Yeah. Their stretch right now is actually kind of wild. They've got Lecce, then they've got Inter in the Supercopa, then they've got Mm -hmm. Lazio away, then they've got Sassuolo at home, then they've got Inter away, (laughs) and then they've got Torino at home. Like they're, you know, and then they've got Champions League. So it's not letting up for these guys. Is it Lecce home or away? Uh, no, Lecce is away for them. They're at Lecce. Yeah. <clears throat> oh, even even more difficult. Even worse. Yeah. And it's a lunchtime kickoff. You know, those boys don't like to wake up early. <laughs> it's going to be brutal. Yeah. I, I mean, I feel like they they need to figure out their injuries. Um, 
Does anybody know what the timeline was? Is like on Manyan at least? They're hoping February 14th for the Champions League match against Tottenham, but I don't think it's I don't think it's looking uh, even likely. They said it would be amazing if he's back by then. <sighs> it's really disappointing. It's his calf. It's his calf, right? And that's mm-hmm. a, a really it's, it sounds it's one of those injuries that sounds like, oh, it's just his calf. He'll be fine. But especially for a goalkeeper, that is a massively significant injury because all they do is jump. Yeah. Yeah. Talking that is about that behind the scenes was about. hilarious. I watched that conversation <laughs> unfold in the green room and it was, it was just crazy. <laughs> I always feel like, like people, is <laughs> yeah, people underestimate these like soft tissue and muscular injuries that can get really easily re-aggravated as fast you know, as like when an heal. NBA player injures his toe and everyone's like, it's just his toe. What, what <laughs> yeah. Who needs that, that man is seven yeah. feet tall and he only has 10 of them to keep him standing upright. Uh, speaking of structural issues, like I, I think there's a real concern for Milan the way over the last three games or so that they're conceding goals really late on, um, because Milan won the Scudetto last year on the strength of their defense, right? And it was it was a collective strength, uh, despite the individuality and the individual brilliance of Mike Magnan and Leao, and at times, um, at, at times uh, Giroud. Uh, I think you look at the last three games for the Rossoneri. So in the Copa, they have a man advantage, as Marco pointed out. And, you know, they concede in extra, in extra time in the 114th minute. They, they give up uh, the game-winning goal to 10 men, Torino. Uh, before that, they have a 2-0 lead on Roma in San Siro. And they give up two goals in the final three minutes of the 90 to Ibanez and Tammy Abraham, who has not been having the, you know, the, he's not been in his best spell form. Um, you go back before that, uh, they win against Salernitana, but they concede a goal in the 83rd minute. That makes them really nervous. They're up 2-0. They give up a goal to Salernitana in the 83rd. Now it's a much more nervous game. I think they're having trouble closing games out. Obviously, that's not like super uh, a huge revelation, but it is very different from what made Milan very, very good, if not great, last season, finally ending that like decade-long Scudetto drought. Also, decision-making like from Pioli. I know we, you know, he's named Padre Pioli for the way that he handles the group last year when they won the Scudetto, and I think a lot does go down to him. But I feel like a few times already this season, we felt like some of the decisions he's made and the substitutions that he's put in don't really stabilize a team. I know we've pointed it out a few times on our broadcast and maybe even here on the podcast. I think back to when he put Destin, uh, Gnabry at half. Marco, does he have the players? That, I mean, that, that's the genuine question. Like, so who, who are they bringing in, right? They're, they're still sort of undecided between Salamakra, who's been in a decent form of late, and Junior Messias. Uh, the Quetelade hasn't really been panning out to their good fortune, but I think Diaz has actually played quite mm-hmm. well. He was the last player and said he had a score mm-hmm. against UBA. Nobody has scored against him since October 8th. That brilliant um, Brahim Diaz goal. Uh, so, yeah, th- th- those are the players that he's bringing in off the bench. The Kruniches, the um, the, the Serginho Dests, like Vranks. Vranks. Um, who's supposed to be the sort of difference maker that Milan brings in off the bench? Like, what is the right choice for Pioli in that, in that sense? So, like, I, I think there's a certain level of, like, criticism that is due there, whereas, like, well, you're not making the right I think we said this of um, of Inzaghi for a while, right? Like his substitutions have made the team worse. But I think mm-hmm. Inzaghi had the players. He was maybe not picking the right ones necessarily. With Pioli, like, does he have the players to bring in when when the legs get tired, when a, a tactical shift is needed? It's also like, I, I, I understand what you're saying with that. And there is merit to that on, on player-wise. I think that they do have some quality when it goes to the bench. But it's also, what I say is also ideas. And, and just like when you go into a game, the instructions that a coach gives you, right? And I think back to the Roma match, if we just use that off the top of our heads, 
it's like the only way Roma were getting back into that match was by giving them uh, set pieces and giving them these opportunities. And there's no need to make certain fouls. There's no need to even give into that Roma uh, spirit because they're not going to beat you in open play. And I think that they're just missing that little bit in the towards the end of the match, which I thought that they had last year. I, I do think there is a distinct lack of quality. I think last year they they kind of overplayed. They they outkicked their coverage a little bit. They were fantastic in in kind of playing above the sum of their parts. But now you can see they don't. They're they need a starting right winger. They they've been playing yeah. with a backup right winger, a, a combination of backup right wingers since the, since last season. Uh, they don't. I don't think they have great depth off the bench. I think that's part of why they do concede late. They just don't have quality in depth. Um, I think it's uh, there is a bit of a mentality issue, but I, I think uh, injecting quality into a squad kind of helps that. It increases that competition, a la Mario Rui, um, and I think it just makes the shot the squad better. There's a little. There can be complacency when you know no one's coming for your job. Um, Here's so. A list. I, yeah, here's a list. Sorry, here's a list of you know I do that to you too much. Go ahead, you finish your thought. <laughs> <laughs> no, dude, you're kidding. That I, actually I, was was the end of my thought. I I often don't know how to finish my thoughts, so you cutting in really helps. <laughs> like Aaron's gonna build like a burner account just to kill me on Twitter for all the time that I interrupt him when we record the the podcast. Uh, well, yeah, I, a, the, long story short, Milan need they they need to hit the transfer window and they need at least a right winger. They need some better players. So so to that point, here is the most used substitutes by Milan and Pioli this season. De Ketelare, 10 times. Vranks, 6. Rebic, 6. Origi, 6. It's not good enough for a title winner, a repeat title winner. It's just not good enough. I would have argued otherwise in the beginning of the season, but this is not the brightest outlook moving forward for Milan. Baseball has begun, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today in 5, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Samphill, every Monday through Saturday as we deliver all of your fantasy baseball needs in just five minutes. We'll break down the biggest performers, news, and prospects who could make an impact this season. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found. Streaming on Paramount Plus. You ready, Bob? Well, all right. Audiences are raving. Bob Marley is electrifying. It's the feel-good movie of the year. You dig? Bob Marley, One Love. Rated PG-13. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. We're joined today uh, by our special guest and colleague Fabrizio Romano. Um, welcome, Fab. Um, hello, hello, hello. How are your you? debut. How are you today? Yes. Finally, finally, happy to be here. So good. So- Everything great. We're obviously here to talk about very important things uh, with you. Like we heard that Marco has beat you no fewer than two times in FIFA. How yeah, does that make you feel? We have to say that also. <laughs> What's the truth? Yeah, the truth is also I had one win. Eh? We have to remember, Marco. Yeah, so two to one. Two is greater than one. <laughs> yes, 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 but I'm still waiting to beat three. you. I'm still waiting for you back here in Milano. So, so, Fabrizio, what do you think went wrong there? How do you think you took those two? I, I think it was about the squad. Marco had the best squad. That's the problem. Ah, excuses. You this kind of sounds like Maurizio Sadi now. <laughs> we think he cheated. Or Mazzari style, maybe. You heard it here first. Marco <laughs> cheated in FIFA, and so Fab didn't actually uh, lose. No. Marco is very good. Marco is very good, but next time will be mine. 
I will go no. with the, the truth. Time. The actual truth is that Fabrizio is so much better than me, but all I did was just try to get into his head. I defended Porto Musa like Allegri and countered that. My favorite part of this little exchange is that no one here in this chat cares more about FIFA than Aaron, and he's just sitting there seething. Like, you guys have never asked me a single FIFA question the entire time that we've been doing this. No, yeah, what, I, we... what, what I really want to know is I want – Two things when when Marco returns to Milan, I want a, a FIFA rematch, and I want a one on one actual uh, actual football uh, match. I, I need to see. To. Fab, are you left or right footed? This is a very important question. I'm right footed. Right footed. Okay, Center we back. can forgive you. I can forgive you for that. It's okay. I, it's it's okay <laughs> to be right footed. Uh, you're still a good person in my eyes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow, I didn't know that you had this right footed bias, Aaron. I took I'm right footed, it. and so like, I, look down, I look down on all the recipe. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> the rest of us right-footed peasants out here yes. doing our work. You might, you might have noticed by now that we have absolutely no intention of asking you a single transfer news question. Oh, so no I, know that you're, I know that you're bombarded with this this time of year. I know that you don't sleep, that all you do is live transfers right now. So I actually would prefer to not ask you a single question about that and, and would rather just talk a little bit of said, yeah, I'll talk a little bit of life with you because yes. I want to know like what has surprised, like, what is it about this season that has really just caught your eye and, and surprised you? Something that you didn't expect, something that just stands out to you for what we've seen so far, 16 rounds in. I want to be honest with you, and uh, of course it's Napoli, we have to mention Napoli, but more than Kvaraskelia, uh, because of course Kvaraskelia has been the big surprise, but it's too easy to mention Kvaraskelia, is Kim. I think Kim is the big surprise of the season over Kvaraskelia, because I remember one point last summer when Napoli were trying to find the right centre-back to replace Koulibaly, and they wanted Kim as priority target, but there was um, 24-48 hours, I still remember those 24 hours, I would say, where the Kim deal was more than difficult because Rennes in France had an agreement with the player, then some English club also entered into the race. So the feeling was, okay, it's over. And trust me, I think with that kind of situation, any other Italian club is prepared to say, okay, we move on another centre-back, no problem, we will go for another one. It's impossible to sign Kim because it was really done deal with Rennes and English clubs were trying to hijack the deal, so it was more than complicated. And it was Kim, was not a proved centre-back, maybe from Premier League or from La Liga. So they were really obsessive with Kim. They say, no, we want Kim, we will fight for Kim, we are not going for the plan B, plan C, we want Kim to be our new leader. How they did it was something different, uh, was changing the mentality we have in Italy in the transfer market. Many times the team are not obsessed with the plan A, they are not obsessed with the quality work on the market. I want to mention Napoli, but Kim as the signing that completely changed the vision. This is why I think they deserve to be where they are now. And I really hope they can have some fantastic moments in the next month because they deserve after an incredible summer. It was incredible the way in which maybe less so now after we've got to see a few more games and you can see some of the differences between him and uh, Koulibaly. But the first five, six, seven, maybe even 10 games, he just looked like he did all of the things that Koulibaly did for them, whether it was in attack or in defense. He scored a couple of goals in his first five matches, dominant in the air, good with the ball at his feet, incredible recovery speed to like make up for some of the defensive lapses that they would have. It looked like a, like a Korean carbon copy of uh, Kalidou Koulibaly. 
It's true. It's true. And I was completely surprised, honestly. Also because all the people I know in the industry were, okay, very positive about Kim when I asked it in the summer. But I was not expecting that kind of monster on his first season in Italy. Playing for Napoli, there is a lot of pressure. We know how complicated it is also with, with the fans always expecting the best from the players. And then it was Koulibaly, more than a player. He was the symbol of Napoli for many years. And now look how crazy is football. A few months later, Koulibaly is struggling at Chelsea and Kim is doing something unbelievable with, with Napoli. So I agree with you, 100%. He did something really surprising. And I'm really curious to see how the situation will evolve also in the transfer market with him because there is a release clause into his contract. It's around 45, 50 million euros. It's valid in the summer for a few days, 15 days in July. And Napoli are really trying to offer him a new deal to change the situation because they know how dangerous it could be to have a 45 million euros release clause in a contract of Kim in the summer. So I'm curious to see how they will manage the situation with the, with the player, but congrats again to them for what they did. I feel like Napoli historically have been really conservative in that way. And obviously we saw that a bit with Koulibaly and uh, the um, just desire to not necessarily negotiate with him, but even asking him to take a pay cut um, to retain him, which is kind of wild given the player that he is. Granted, he has underperformed at Chelsea, but... Um, to me, it was more shocking that they were willing to go that hard in on Kim. Obviously, it paid off, and it certainly is an integral part of their defense now. But um, what do you think uh, it looks like for him? I know he was subbed off in the half for potential calf strain uh, against Samp. Um, going into this Juve Napoli match, Fab. I think that I, I expect Kim to be 100% ready, and I think this will be the game of life for him. I'm sure uh, it's, it's something more than special. I'm from Napoli, you know, and so I know how is the the feeling in the. Yeah, city. what's uh, more importantly, yeah. what's the vibe there right now? Yes, now I am in Milano, but I know the city because I spent 18, 18 years of my life there, uh, and I know every single Napoli Juventus game in general. It doesn't matter if they are first on the table or maybe seventh. In Napoli, that is something mad. That is something completely, completely mad. How they wait for the game, uh, the atmosphere with the players, because then they are players, but they live also normal life around the city. And only in Napoli, we have that kind of feeling every single day around the city when they go, uh, I don't know, with their families around, they can feel the game in a special, special way. I'm in Milano now and also it's special, but it's different. There is different kind of relationship with the players. There you are like a king and Kim is like a king in Napoli because of what he did. And so I'm sure that for him in particular, it's going to be an unbelievable night. So I'm told that also people close to the player told me that he's really ready. He can't wait for that moment. Of course, he was rested, as you mentioned, in the second half with Sampdoria because they didn't want to take any risk. But I'm sure he will be ready and I'm sure he will have a great game because it's the opportunity of life for him and for many other players. That's a very good point. Um, yeah, I would, honestly, I would die to be there for this match. Yeah, just because I know we're going to move on from Napoli, and, and I, I could see like your eyes light up when when you start talking uh, about uh, the <laughs> yes. Partenope. Okay. Um, but are, are we like are we giving enough credit to uh, Juntoli? Like for for what for the way that Napoli have rebuilt this season? There is so little talk of their sporting director. Is it because the responsibility lies elsewhere? Like, is there something different or unique about like virtually every other big club that would have an offseason like this with this kind of turnover, big names, like heavy locker room presences, you know, leaders and captains, we would be raving about the sporting director, the general manager. And there's almost not a word printed about uh, Napoli in that sense. This is true. I 100% agree with your point. Um... 
Juntoli is really underrated, not just in the world, but also in Italy. We don't speak about him every single day, about what he did. I think this happens because when you think about Napoli, we think about the president, Aurelio De Laurentiis. It's always yeah. been like this in the positives, in the negatives. It's always been De Laurentiis, De Laurentiis speaking to the press, De Laurentiis discussing about difficult moments in the past. And so this is why the image has always been De Laurentiis. But what Juntoli did, uh, I mentioned Kim, of course, we mentioned Paraschelia, but there are many examples of what they are doing in a very positive way. Giovanni Di Lorenzo was ample right back a normal player, and now he's the captain of Napoli, one of the best players of the Italian national team, but also the way they changed the situation in the midfield. Lobotka was a player available on the market one year ago. Luciano Spalletti, of course, changed the story of Lobotka, but also Juntoli protecting the player in the key moments and keeping the player at, uh, at Napoli, also with Victor Osimhen. They spent important money on him, but what striker they have right now, and now we can also mention that for Oziman, the price is the double because we remember when they paid 70 million euros, many people saying Napoli invested too much. Juntoli trusted the players thanks to his special relationship with Orgemendes, signed the player and was not easy because English clubs were there. So I think the sporting director makes a difference in football today. The vision of the director makes a difference. And this is why I agree with you. Juntoli did something incredible and historical, I would say, especially for Kim and, of course, Kvaraskeli. Are you ever going to become a sporting director? <laughs> I, like, I would never I feel do like that. that's something that, that you could have in your locker. <laughs> I would never do that. Never, never, never. Never? No, no, never. What no if way. I offer you like $3 billion? No way, no way. It's not no? about what job in football would you do? All the friends you have today become your enemies the day after. So this is not for me. No that's way. a lot of perspective. That's no actually way. very true. If you if you had one job in football, what would you do? Would you be a coach, a sporting director, president? Coach, coach, hundred percent. I love. I my dream when I was a kid was always about coaching. I have an obsession with Antonio Conte. He's my my favorite football character in the history. So Antonio Conte has always been my model, more as a coach than many other opportunities. Like many tell me, why you don't do I don't know agent or director? No, no, I would be a coach, hundred (laughs) percent. I mean, yeah, you can't argue with Conte. The man has something special about him that <laughs> he gets things done. I'm I'm a fan personally. But, but I'm the biggest do you, fan. <laughs> do you have any work-life balance right now? What what do you do to kind of separate work from anything else? Do you Nothing. is it just wake up, turn the phone on, or do you do you have like a, a do not disturb on your phone or is it just ringing all through the night? No, you know, I think this is the positive and the negative of my life, that my work is my life. Uh, But I'm lucky because it's football. You know, I think I'm very lucky because every single day, as you mentioned, I wake up and it's about football. So people texting, I'm texting people, calling, and this is absolutely normal for me. But then also my friends are in football. So I I try to explain that sometimes it's not easy to understand. For you, I'm sure, yes, because you are in football. But for normal people who are not in football, it's different. But for me, for example, when an agent who is my friend is making a big deal, uh, for me, something something special. I feel involved in that because if you speak with the same person every single day about a move, for example, uh, last summer about Gabriel Jesus or Cucureya, I spent, I think, 30 days, 40 days speaking with the same person every single day about the move. <laughs> then when you see the player... You're, uh, the you're all the way in on a relationship <laughs> with somebody at this point. <laughs> so I say, I spoke more to you than to my mom in the last 30 days. So I'm yeah. happy that you, are, that you are doing great things. So it's about the human relationship too. And so for me, it's my work, but it's also my life. And that's why for me, there is no balance at all. No balance. On a, on a practical note, if you... 
just had the mental ever, image of Fabricio. Ahead, sorry, Aaron. Just had the image of Fabricio in his room by himself, just yelling, "Here we go!" <laughs> so here we go. When the finally got done, it's almost like that. <laughs> I think the important part here is now I realize because I didn't realize that you played Fabrizio. Silly me. This was a recent revelation. Yes, is we have to get you on a free transfer to New York so that you can play <laughs> yes. in the spring with. Paramount Plus FC. We could I use it. Yeah, you don't want to join our team, Fabrizio. Yo, it's better to stay in Milan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we lose in penalties every time. It would drive you nuts. Maybe yes, we wouldn't uh, if we had Fab. No, I'm, I'm, just a normal center back. I'm a normal center back, nothing more. A nothing normal center back? Yes. Like a 2023 normal center back or like yes. a 1993 center back? <laughs> in a Materazzi style, I would say. <laughs> Good man. I have a goal now. I'm just going to submit the request. And be like, we need Fabrizio <laughs> to come to New York for very specific reasons that are work related. <laughs> Can you take a penalty, Fabrizio? Do you, yes. do you get scared to take a penalty, or you want to take it? No, no, no. I want to take it. I love responsibility. See? Of course. Well, all right, bring him in. Sign we him have up. To do a cucchiaio in New York is the biggest opportunity of my life. Yeah, you don't know how small <laughs> the nets are. There's no cucchiaio. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> There is now, Marco. He, we can do whatever Fab wants. We just get him on field. Let's do it. Fab, do you ever have to change your phone number? And is that like a nightmare for you? No, I never change it. But one day happened to me that a Brazilian TV, I don't know how, but it was like two years ago. A Brazilian TV was showing my phone number live. And that no. was a huge problem. I spent yeah, yeah. like two days blocking all the people <laughs> on WhatsApp and not even answering. They started to call me to put me into WhatsApp groups. It was a crazy day, but it was like 24 hours and not a few hours. It was the whole day because they started. Then Brazilian football community is very big. So they started to tweet my number around, to put my number everywhere. And so sometimes they're still texting me. I see some Brazilian number texting me on WhatsApp. You refuse to change your number. You're like, just, uh, no, I will never Yes, exactly. The other thing is, of all of the countries where you could have your phone number leaked, it's the single country that has the most players moving, transferring. The most players, some of the most passionate fans on the planet. Super passionate, (laughs) exactly. And I love them. So I, I can't even criticize them, but. I understand their point of view, but I didn't want to change the number. So I said, okay, I will block and block and block. And that's it. I asked you for a surprise and, and you and you did the honorable thing. You said, well, like Cavada would be the obvious one. So I'll give you someone else. So let's do it the other way then. Like what's been sort of a surprise in, in the negative? What's, what's been like a big disappointment that isn't, for example, uh, Charles de Catalade, who is still 21 years old and could develop and maybe was the guy who came in with the most fanfare and has produced the least but we're patient with him so who else maybe stands out um that isn't that first name that comes i want to say pogba lukaku and the ketelar i was thinking about that in milan roman game uh, when the ketelar was on the pitch we have a feeling that when he's on the pitch in important moments for milan this is a problem for inter lukaku in some moments to have this lukaku situation we need him to play to be back in good condition but then on the pitch, you can see the difference that is not the real Lukaku. And so Lukaku in some moments for Inter is a problem because Jacob now, he can be old, but he's still the best player they have. And so Lukaku can become a problem in some moments. The catalog for Milan is a problem right now. Pogba for Juventus, they invested big money on his salary and he never played. So I was thinking, imagine how crazy is the transfer market. We spent the whole summer saying Pogba, fantastic signing. Lukaku, fantastic signing. The catalog finally, Milan signed this player. And now they are three big problems for the three biggest club we have in, in Italy. So you can see that sometimes transfers are not just about the big name or the big salary, but sometimes it's about the big idea, as we mentioned before with Napoli, how they've been able to, to change the situation. So 
I think the biggest disappointment for me is Paul Pogba. I want to be to be honest. More than Lukaku, because Lukaku is about the physical condition. The Kettler, I think we have to wait a bit for this young guy to be ready to make an impact. Of course, Pogba is about the injuries, but it's February and we can't see Paul Pogba play for Juventus. And this is a big problem. I think this is a big issue when you pay around 8, 8.5 million euros net salary to a fantastic player like Pogba. And I think it's disappointing because I'm a big fan of Pogba. I think he's one of the best in the world when he's fit. But we are waiting for Pogba since Yeah, the fact that we might not see him until maybe next month because he just was training with Vlaovic uh, with the U23s, which is promising. But the, the length of time we've sat waiting for him to see any sort of semblance of a minute healthy is it's painful at this point. Um, I think for Diketalara though, um, again, very young, but it just seems like it's a confidence issue that's just gotten in his way and he just can't seem to get around it. That is, that is very dangerous. I think because we know San Siro, uh, you know, San Siro very well too. And the feeling you have in San Siro when things are not working is something that is really, really dangerous for a young player. We saw many players destroyed by San Siro. It can be fantastic when things are working, but when you have a problem, it's a really dangerous stadium. Maybe something that's helping the Catalada is the way that um, Tonali was a little bit slow to... Yes. Not slow because he was still very young, but at least like they had that that recent example of someone who, hey, maybe right away, you know, he wasn't Andrea Pirlo, um, but he, he can come good. And if we're a little bit patient, like that might be something that's working in, in his favor. With Pogba, it's got to be frustrating for UA fans because it's not even like a performance issue. We just haven't seen him play yet, right? He, he's been injured since he arrived. But it, that was a good, that was an interesting choice, I think, because maybe more than Di Maria, more than Dybala switching teams, more than uh, Kvaraschele, who nobody knew, um, Paul Pogba brought a level of enthusiasm with his transfer, right? Like, yes, people, UV fans are very well aware of his strengths and his weaknesses. They knew that they weren't going to get, you know, a, a Ballon d'Or candidate player, but there was an enthusiasm about the sort of electricity that Pogba yes. brings, the style that he plays with, the, you know, the whole Pog boom thing being back and to get none of that. I mean, obviously the results are maybe papering over it for a while. And Di Maria has been like maybe their best sort of inclusion and now the return of Chiesa. But there was that enthusiasm of Pogba's arrival that was just bucket of cold water from the moment that, that we yes. found out we weren't going to see him after, after the World Cup. Yes, for sure, for sure. This is why I'm really, honestly, disappointed. But let's see the second part of the season. We know how it's football. Sometimes uh, things can change in, in five minutes. So I hope Pogba can be back as soon as possible and show again the fantastic skills he has. But at the moment, I would mention him and then Lukaku and the Kettler, as, as we said. Fab, I know you said that if you were a coach, Antonio Conte is your guy. You would want to replicate <laughs> yes. him. Talking about Simone Inzaghi and Inter, and we see lots of highs and lows, even in the same match. Their, their game in the Coppa Italia, they nearly got knocked out by Parma. What do you make of the differences there, and, and how do you rate Simone Inzaghi? I think Simone Inzaghi is a good manager, but Antonio Conte is a Ferrari. Uh, so I think there is a big difference. Also, I think this is my idea. Uh, to, to understand the managers and to rate the managers, uh, you have to speak with the players, how the players speak about them. Uh, and... I don't find any single player speaking in a negative way of Antonio Conte. Maybe the first two weeks because they are not used to it about his methods. And so they have some problems with the training sessions and everything. Diego Costa, but then, right? Exactly. Or maybe Diego <laughs> Costa, exactly. But then at the end of the season, all these players will be happy and win some trophies. And so that's why um, I like this kind of, of obsession of mentality. Simone Inzaghi, I think, is a very good manager. But I think there is some problem also in the way they are managing, for example, the transfer market. This is a really important point. Uh, I always mention the Correa deal. You had big money in your pocket from Romelu Lukaku sold to Chelsea. That was an historical one for Inter, the biggest 
sale ever for Inter. And you invested in a difficult moment, 30 million euros on, on, on Correa to trust your manager. But then at the end was not the right signing for, for Inter. And now is a problem to get that money back from a player like Correa. Mm-hmm. Or for example, I didn't understand last summer how they spent money on young players that they are never playing. They said we need the a backup option for Marcelo Brozovic. They said, okay, let's sign Aslani, who is a good talent. They spent 14 million euros plus Edons. When you invest on young players, it's always a good idea, but then play them because Brozovic it was out for three months this season and Aslani never played. So this is why I don't understand in a difficult financial situation as the one Inter have right now, how they decide to invest the money to support the manager. This is why I love Antonio Conte also in how he handles the situation with the transfer. Sometimes it's crazy. Eh? We know how difficult <laughs> it is to have Antonio Conte into your club. Conte needs his tools as prescribed. Yes. He's very specific. Yes, yes I know, but I'm, I'm, I'm too much in love with Antonio to, to mention him. But I think sometimes it makes a difference. Remember what happened the last January transfer window Antonio Conte was at Inter. He said, I want Olivier Giroud, who was like a normal player at Chelsea, never playing. And many people say he's too old. Inter don't need him. Then Milan signed Giroud in the following summer. And we saw how we made the difference for Milan, for the French national team, many and many times. So it's not just about the age of the player. It's about understanding the moment you are. This is the problem of Inter right now, I think. Sometimes they spend money in things they don't need. Gosens, very good player, but 25 million euros. Mm. When you have Ivan Perisic, who is the best left winger of the league, and then you let Perisic go for free and you keep Gosens, I don't understand many things, but okay. But is that the sporting director now or is that it, or is that Inzaghi? I think there is always the responsibility of the manager when you do the market. Always. Because it's, a, it's on the manager. I think it's on the manager to say, we have the best left wing of the, of winger of the, of the league. Why not keeping him? and saving some money for different positions. But this is my my point of view. I think it's fascinating the way that, you know, certain managers fall in love with certain players, right? Like um, Max Allegri will take Mattia De Ciglio with him to whatever club he has anywhere (laughs) on the planet, right? Like uh, Maurizio Sarri will take half of his old Empoli team with him wherever he goes, right? Uh, You think about how many guys went from uh, Empoli to Napoli when Sarri was there and many of them still sticking around. Um, with Inzaghi, like if you were going to bring Lazio players over, you know, bring Sergio Milinkovic Savage, bring Ciro Immobile, I don't think that Correa and Acerbi are the ones that like the Nerazzurri fans, even though Acerbi's actually worked out quite brilliantly. And yes. there's something about the way that he fits with um, Bastoni and, um, and Skriniar that's actually seen uh, De Vrij sort of, you know, frozen out a bit. Um, but it is interesting that it's those guys coming over from Lazio to Inter where you would expect it to be sort of a jump in quality, a, a bigger deal. And Correa has not been able to sort of sort himself into, into that team in any way that looks functional consistently in long term. I think Echerbi has to an extent, but I'm surprised that those are the guys that Inzaghi would be bringing over. Yes, and this is what I love, for example, of Milan. I think Milan are doing a special job in how they decide together on everything. I think Milan won the Scudetto last year when they decided in December after Simon Kier injury. That was a very long one, so world season out. I think every other club in the world was prepared to say, OK, let's sign another centre-back on the market. That was absolutely normal. They only had few centre-backs, so it was normal to go for another centre-back. And they said, no, let's go with Kalulu as a centre-back. Let's protect what they have. They decided together with the manager. Pioli said, OK, let's play Kalulu. Let's trust Kalulu. Now it's one year and we can see Kalulu and Tomori as probably the best defensive pair in, in Serie A together with Napoli. So this is how they trusted their ideas. I love how Milan protect their decisions. Even if something is not working, they are all together. Paolo Maldini, Massara, Moncada, chief of scouting, and of course, Stefano Pioli. How they decide on players, how they decide on strategies. This made the difference, I think, last year to win the Scudetto. I think we uh, we were very lucky to have you today, Fabrizio. Thank you for 
indulging us in things that are outside <laughs> you. your usual purview. Um, I'm going to get working on your player contract for Paramount Plus FC. Let's do it. Um, side eye to You're Aaron. not going to make a lot of money. I'm letting you know now. <laughs> um, but uh, hope to see you soon. Um, Thank you. And uh, what do you think before we let you go? Uh, prediction for Juve Napoli. I see 1-1, one, one, and I think it will be a very good draw for Napoli. I think it's going to be a draw tomorrow night. Fair. That's a fair and very, uh, we'll see, fingers crossed. Uh, um, it's too, it's too bad. It's too bad we didn't have time to ask some transfer questions. I'm sure that, you know, we all... It's really a sad, sad thing. You know, all of the <laughs> transfer time. things that we were, were Next time, blessing. Time. <laughs> Next time. Next time we'll do it. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, guys. It was my pleasure. Thank you. Ciao, ciao, ciao. Anybody watching anything else on Paramount Plus that wants to use the promo code Serie A? <laughs> uh, I've got a five-year-old and a three-year-old, so a little bit of Paw Patrol sprinkled in, yeah. Oh, <laughs> Marco, what do you got? What are you watching? You know what I'm so mad about? They asked New Year's resolutions on the, on our last show, and I should have said my New Year's resolution is to one day be on The Amazing Race because I'm totally <laughs> obsessed with that show, and they have every single season now on Paramount Plus. I um I have been roped in by Tulsa King, admittedly, and so it's Sly and I all the way. Apparently, um, I'm hooked, and he's my new favorite mafia boss? Question mark. I don't know. <laughs> Wait, one question for everybody here. If you know the concept of Amazing Race, you're like teamed up in in pairs. I want to know from our crew who's the one person you would want to be paired up with, and then the least person you'd want to be paired up with. Um, I'll take this one to start. Dre Cordero is who I'd want to be paired up with because he knows everything and he's also athletic. So it like I, I think it's the combination of, of, of brains and brawn that we need. And the least that I would want to be paired up with is gotta be Matteo Bonetti. Yep. It's it's gotta be Matteo. <laughs> every every step would be like, do we have to do this? Why are we doing it this way? Uh, isn't there a better way to do this? Oh, do we are you sure that we need to do this? Uh I don't want to do that. I, I, so I don't I don't think that he would be an I, I love Mateo, but being on something like that, I think would be living hell. And that I say that as a good friend of his. Um, I feel like I have to go with uh, I pick Marco because I feel like he can match my intensity um, and we wouldn't actually kill each other, but we'd probably torment a lot of other people. Um, and then I wouldn't pick. Um, I'm going Grella because I feel like he's obviously super athletic, but I feel like he would just like go off on a tangent and be like, oh, forget, forget the mission. It's fine. I can just sit here or like eyeball a golf course in the distance. And I'd be like trying to piggyback <laughs> him through the rest of the course. Honestly, that would be your undoing. You'd be somewhere in like Santiago, Chile, like beautiful <laughs> views and be like, oh, what's this hidden golf course? Yeah. I'd be like, no, no, no. Like, no screw this challenge. Good. I already got money. I'm yeah. about to get this 18 in. <laughs> like I, I adore Grella, but I feel like it would be like herding cats to keep him on task. <laughs> Grell and I would just be pure comedy. I think. I think like we're we're way too similar in the ways you, that you it, it would be good would, TV. You would but. not win, it, but it would be fantastic television. <laughs> there, it, there, there's no it. chance you would win, but it'd be fantastic television. Cur- Cur- I, I, I actually think Kupo and Marco ready. would be a terrible pairing because the intensity factor. It would get like <laughs> so serious. They'd either kill each other or snap and kill someone else. <laughs> If this this just, was just sprung on us. This was just sprung, and I swear it sounds like Aaron has been thinking about this for weeks. I, 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 I honestly like I I just I do I uh I think about people's personalities like constantly, so it just makes sense to me. Really.
Dre, what what do you got? Like, oh no, I think Aaron nailed it. Uh, it's him and I. Uh, I'm taking him to the vibes, and we're leaving Mateo at home. <laughs> love it. I love it. Now that Mateo knows his united front, they are they're a fantastic pairing <laughs> in the booth. But you, it, anything of that nature, you don't. I don't. I think Mateo would be like, I think I'd be terrible at this. <laughs> even, even Mateo <laughs> yeah, would be like, I don't even want to do this. <laughs> I considered for sure. So if it weren't Marco, I was like, you know, like. Aaron, but I legitimately think Aaron would actually walk into the sea if he got stuck with me. <laughs> He'd be like, oh be my God. Though, to be Just fair because, though, like, the list so of humans, the, the list of humans I could stand for anything like that is about one. And it's my <laughs> wife. <laughs> I feel like you'd be, I'd catch you in the back like, ooh, saw. <laughs> Kubo, please, I beg, just one minute of quiet. Like, why is Aaron taking so many long walks? <laughs> <laughs> I gotta go on my 15th thinking walk of the day. I'll be back. <laughs> Alone. Can you give credit to? Poppy wouldn't be a bad shout either. She's yeah. good. She's she's athletic. Poppy, she never gives we, up. I always think about we that. We make fun of Poppy all the time, but I Poppy would Pops be good. I think and I could do battle. Probably I, we'd probably get would be along, a solid choice. And I think we'd, uh, we'd actually... You guys would be a good pairing, Christine. You would be a good one. Yeah. The ladies will get it done. I mean, I now in this type of, now I'm like, okay, who's putting us on Amazing Race? Right. Yeah. Which book. which Amazing Race producer is listening to this podcast right now? <laughs> Please, this could, this could be this could be your your amazing your 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 lead idea to become a head of the Amazing Race. Uh, right. Last point: If Aaron wasn't available, I'd take Fabrizio Romano because I feel like he would have friends everywhere we went, and we'd be so. Brazilian, you'll be set. Like strange uh. like transfer info for like help oh, no. along the way. I'll leave him behind if he gives me if he gives me one transfer rumor. I'll leave him behind. <laughs> All it is is just deep life combos about everything but yeah. transfer. Oh. Like, every time well, you're trying to do what did you want to be like, when you grow up? What did you want to be when you grew up, Fabrizio? Yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. For poor Fabrizio going through like his childhood with Dre along the way. Like honestly, I would watch it. I'm not gonna lie. So, you know, call us Amazing Race, whomever wants. <laughs> I, think, I think that's actually a new a new show that we just came up with. Like you, Dre Cordero walks you through your childhood and how you came to be the person you are. <laughs> Let's retrace your steps. Do you still feel okay? It's like, no, please. Um, I think that's a good point for us to stop. Reminder tomorrow live from 2 p.m. Um, we have Juve and Napoli. Big clash, huge match, post-match through 5.30 p.m. The whole gang in the studio, I will be reporting live from Philly with a special guest. Um, and you're going to catch, of course, Dre and Mateo on the call. Uh, use that promo code for one month free if you haven't yet for Serie A and we will catch you next week. Ciao a tutti. Go.